Steven, since we've known each other, I've seen you go from struggling... I don't like where this is going. ...homeless writer to massive, successful... I wasn't homeless. ...backgammon player... Not that and successful. ...and economics I am a good backgammon writer. player. During that time, I've seen you cry repeatedly. I've seen you in the gutter. What's your biggest career mistake ever? And what have you learned from it? What can anybody learn from a career mistake? As of this moment... I'd say my biggest career mistake was question starting of day, question podcast. of the day. <laughs> I'm <laughs> Plainly. Sorry, I'm sorry about that. It was my idea, and I forced you into it. Well, the re- uh, let me say, before I try to come up with an answer, the reason I like this question is this. I think that in the modern world, I think that it's very easy to try to emulate success. We may have talked about this before on this program. There seems to be a common trope, let's say, one of your favorite words, James. By of- the way, just as... Backstory. We were just making fun of the word trope. And can I just tell the backstory <laughs> to that? Because you don't even know. You can. Yeah. So uh, this morning, the toilet in my apartment flooded. With trope? Um, well, I'll explain why. And apparently the apartment downstairs received, quote unquote, serious received damage. Received serious trope. And that I have to pay for. And I said to the landlord, I've never heard of a toilet constantly flushing and overflowing. We flushed it once. It maybe I didn't even know it overflowed, but whatever. And that's what toilets do. They constantly overflow. Constantly. Like, where does the water come from? Uh, God, the world. Well, anyway, the the landlord did write back and say this is a common trope in many movies <laughs> that the toilet oh. overflows. And I like causes that you damage. have. A, now <laughs> that I know that it's the landlord that uses trope, I kind of like it. All right. I thought it was someone trying to be smarty pants. But this sounds like someone who actually is smarty pants. It could be. So I think it is a common trope of a certain kind of literature and conferences uh, and, you know, business school thinking generally that what you want to do is you want to study success and try to emulate it, which I think on the surface makes perfect sense. And I think that in many cases, especially where there's some kind of acquisition of technical knowledge involved, like learning how to do electrical engineering, learning how to swing a golf club, learning how to build a carburetor, whatever. I think where you're building on the um, the knowledge and technical breakthroughs of others makes perfect sense. On the other hand, I think there are a lot of people who view success as a different kind of story as a story that, you know, is like climbing a mountain kind of, and there's there may be more than one route, but you know what the goal is. And therefore, they like to look at other people who've ended up on top of the mountain and say, oh, well, I'm going to do what they did to get there. And I think, just personally, that that's not a really brilliant idea. Because really? So, like, if I want to be, I don't know, let's say a, a great writer or a great artist, I shouldn't study... Uh, let's say, your career or Picasso's career or whoever, um, or Elon Musk's career if I want to be you know, a successful entrepreneur? So I would say maybe some, but probably much less than most people think, and here's why. Most people who succeed, especially the kind of people who succeed wildly enough to be held up as paragons of success, have some set of skills, abilities, curiosities, maybe flaws or the way that they approach things. That they're basically, look, we're all individuals. And there are some ways in which they're going to be quite anomalous, those people. And so for you to try to replicate their success, I think leads a lot of people down a lot of daisy paths or whatever that cliche is called. Although, like let's take Elon Musk as an example. Let's take him. 
a lot of people in today's day and age want to be a successful entrepreneur. They admire Elon Musk. He was apparently the model for Iron Man. So a lot of people all over admire him. One thing we learned from him is that he had to get through many extremely stressful failures. For instance, when the first four rocket ships of SpaceX blew up, he had to figure out psychologically within himself how he keeps going forward. When Tesla was almost out of money, he had to figure out how to keep going forward and so on. So there's things to learn from that or or how to think out of the box. There's things to learn from that. We're so used to thinking in the box. You know, you have to learn from others what the box is. I don't deny anything what you just said, although I would just add a note. Once you're talking about SpaceX and even Tesla, by then he had so much collateral reputational and financial and other collateral that it's hard to compare him even at those stages encountering those failures to people who are trying to craft their success from the ground up that's the only caveat i would add to that although okay? i bring them up because they're the most well-known i could have also spoken about his failures at x.com sure. before it mer- merged with paypal and so on okay fair enough but here's my point there's a lot to learn by looking at bad versions of things as a writer i'll tell you this i honestly have learned more about my craft by looking at bad writing, whether it's really? my own or other. Absolutely. It's a lot easier, I feel, to understand failure or low quality and to not emulate it <laughs> than it is to understand and appreciate and recognize high quality and emulate it. That doesn't mean you can't appreciate the high quality, but just reading a lot of fill-in-the-blank, an author that you think is awesome, You can emulate that person, but first of all, every field is different. In writing, you don't just want to replicate someone or emulate. You want to become your own best thing. And so I think that when you're trying to learn to do something or to be something or to be successful, that you can learn a tremendous amount, not just from failure, which we talk about all the time, but from real, like, disaster and badness, being bad. So when I think about worst career mistake, the reason I love the question is because I think that is the right way to think about things or a good way to think about things other than just like who's someone that you admire a lot and how do I be more like them? Because I actually find that to be the common path that people try to pursue, but I don't see a lot of people getting that far. Oh my gosh, I've got to go to the bathroom. So hold on, listen to this ad and we'll be right back. In the new CNN original series, United Shades of America, comedian W. Kamau Bell travels around the country to find humor in the parts of America he doesn't understand. He goes everywhere, and I mean everywhere, from the snowy Alaskan tundra in harsh winter to the hot sands of Daytona during spring break. Kamau goes a lot of places where you might not expect a black guy like him to go. In fact, Kamau finds himself coming face-to-face with the KKK. And when a black man attends a cross-lighting, you can imagine things get more than a little awkward. So, check out United Shades of America, Sunday nights at 10 Eastern and Pacific on CNN, because people are definitely going to be talking about this one. Let's do something prescriptive here. Like, So you mentioned two things. One is not necessarily studying failure, but studying actual failures and not doing what they do. Um, so, so that's one prescriptive thing. The other thing is, uh, maybe doing a little more outreach per week on either friendships or networking or building a connection or strengthening. I don't connection. think I'm going to change. Are you saying prescriptive? Like I should try it? No, not necessarily you, but let's say someone listening to this who's, who's starting their career. Right. Because I think that by the time you're like me, 
It's like just cranky. Way too late. And, uh, what's the word I'm looking <laughs> for? Curmudgeonly. Sclerotic. You know, you just like sclerotic, fixed, very good word. Fixed in trope like. Yeah, tropey, <laughs> like fixed in it. No, it's just like, look, to be fair to myself, even, I do think that I'm constantly trying new things, but most of the new things that I try are ideas and they're related to my work. I mean, that's what I like to do as a writer. I like to explore new ideas in my writing. So it's not like I'm afraid of the new. In fact, quite the opposite. I I like it a great deal. But I think that by having a pretty narrow silo personally from which to operate, I think I've excluded a lot of opportunity and joy and stuff like that. I'll tell you, this is not a mistake, I think. I think this was actually a good move. But one regret I have is that uh, I, I do kind of regret giving up on music entirely. That when I was when I used to play music for like a living and then stopped, I stopped like cold turkey because it was too painful to just do it as an amateur. And I regret that because I, I wish I still kind of had a network and a repertoire and the ability to do okay. that. Do you feel you can get back to that? I've been trying to get back to it a little bit lately. I've been playing music again a little bit more lately, but it's so weird. Um, you know, it's funny. I've spent time with uh, some uh, professional athletes and then former professional athletes. And it reminds me a little bit of that. Like, um, there's this one guy that I spent a, a fair amount of time with. I wrote a book about him that you read, Franco Harris, who was a football player back in the 70s and 80s. And he was a great football player. He had a great football player. I loved watching him play. Yeah, he had a great career. He was a really interesting human, et cetera. And after he left football, even though he still very much identified with the Pittsburgh Steelers, where he still lives, where he played almost his entire career, he had one brief end-of-career trial in uh, Seattle, which didn't work well. He's, you know, he's still big man on campus in Pittsburgh 30 years later, but he doesn't watch football. And, um, and this was, you know, 10 years ago I was talking to him about not watching football. It wasn't about the violence or the concussion or any morality. He just found it like, you know, not his thing. He liked to watch baseball because he'd never really – he'd never been a competitive baseball player as far as I recall. So, so he could watch it. for him as yeah, it was fun. some professional analysis. He, he could enjoy it. In. Yeah, or like when you're – not only professional analysis but like, oh, man – I could have never done that. Or, right. oh, man, I would have done it like that instead. It's really hard, I think, to go from pro to amateur. So let's be prescriptive for a second. So with writing, you say study failures. Like you might, you'd rather read, like, let's say, I'm, I'm just making this up, but Fifty Shades of Grey rather than Ernest no, Hemingway. No, I wouldn't call that a failure because obviously a lot oh, of people yeah, love it. Oh, yeah, not a failure. I, I didn't mean it that, but, like, that's not your particular style. So maybe you're, you, you might read something where you don't want to emulate that style as opposed to someone whose style you might want to emulate and the voice would take over too much. I, I don't know. I'm trying to get I'll give you, I'll tell you where I kind of first felt this to be true was in graduate school for writing, where you're one of 12 students in a graduate writing seminar, and you're reading everybody else's manuscripts. And there were some that were good, some that were bad. Although I don't even like to use good or bad because it's so subjective. So some that I thought were really good, some that I thought were really bad. The ones that I thought were good were exciting to read and maybe inspiring on some level. and Maybe I could learn something, but it was the ones that were bad that I really learned from. Because the ones that were bad, it was very evident to me why they were bad, much more than why the good ones were evidently good. And so when I would read one that was bad, I would say, oh, well, it took this writer four pages in a short story or book chapter or whatever, novel chapter, to get to a point where the character is doing anything at all that I care about. So I know that I, as a reader, I understand that. It's undeniable. And I, as a writer, have to understand 
that I'm asking a reader for something very valuable, which is their attention and time, and that I don't have the luxury to wank off for four pages before my character actually has an interesting thought or action. That I can learn from something bad. Could I learn the same from something good? Maybe, and there are there is a lot I've learned from good writing, but I actually think that failures and wrecks and disasters and horrible decisions are at least equally as instructive for careers as the big successes. Okay, so the prescriptive thing there is, though, don't just study Elon Musk, study a lot of entrepreneurs maybe who failed. You can learn from anything, basically, to achieve your own success. And look at what were the mechanisms that led to the... Uh, let me give you a for instance. There's a guy that I am fascinated with named Mo Berg, who years ago was a baseball player who became a spy for the U.S. Um, in the OSS, which was the it's precursor of the CIA. It's a phenomenal story. So anyway, the first 40 years or so of his life were unbelievably interesting, accomplished, exciting. He went to Princeton which he was a first-generation Jewish-American, so very few Jews were at Princeton at the time. He went there. He had great success there. He was a great scholar. He was also a very good baseball player, played professional baseball for many years, and then became a spy. It's an unbelievable life and series of accomplishments until he was about 40. But he lived until he was, I believe, in his early 70s. And the last 30 or so years were pretty bad. And why were they bad? It's a complicated answer, but one, here's one big reason why. His spying and his relationship with the U.S. government did not end well. Why did it not end well? It didn't end well because having been gallivanting all over Europe during World War II on assignment for the precursor of the CIA, contributing to the war cause, he went all over doing all these things, trying to infiltrate, trying to befriend people, spending the government's money all over. And ultimately, when he came home, they said, uh, Mo, we need, uh, we need your accounting. We need to know how you spent the money. We need some receipts or we need you to at least write it down. And there might be some taxes involved, blah, 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 blah. And he like <laughs> That's crazy. was so – I don't know if offended is the right word, but for whatever reason, that was the breaking point. He never provided that, as far as I understand it. And as a result, there was this fracture in a relationship that instead of feeding the next 20 or 30 years of his career, it just broke, and that was it. When I look at that incident from his life, I think, if I'm ever in a situation like that where someone asks of me something that is a pain in the ass and a lot of work, and I know they're kind of right, but I just don't want to do it, or maybe they're not even right, but if it's going to provide that huge of an impediment— you know what? Do it. Because the kind of short-term thinking about wanting to not do it is just going to be more punitive in the end. That's what I mean by looking at massive mistakes and failures and learning from them. So I want to get to the second prescriptive thing, which is just that uh, spend a little bit of time somehow reaching out, building friendships, because that compounds. 20 years later, that's a huge career, your, your, your Rolodex, your network. I think you're right, but you and I think about career very differently because I think of my career as me sitting alone in a room writing down words. But still, you, you have Freakonomics as a huge platform out of people that, you know, resonated with those words. So it could be that for you, it, the words were enough, but for many people, I think they need people to call and say, hey, can you help me with this? I agree. I think anybody needs that to some degree, but for me, everything is about opportunity cost. Like, if I, let's say, want to build a bigger network of whatever, sources, let's say. Now, I'm a journalist. You know, sources are really, they're extremely important. 
You know, I could spend 10 hours a week going out to dinner or drinks or parties with people. How much is that going to pay off? To me, it might pay off. It's really hard to calculate. But to me, I'd rather spend those 10 hours um, at home, whether with my family for enjoyment, reading for enjoyment or work, and sleeping. Because I think that an hour of sleep is actually probably more – the random hour of sleep I get is probably more valuable to me in my career than the random hour of networking. That may be different. For every single person, but that's my view of no, me. No, I think you're right. And I'm not that, saying that could I'm right. Be, I'm just saying it works for me. And then the third prescriptive thing is, is if you truly love something. You're very prescriptive today, and you're not even wearing your doctor's coat. I'm I impressed. know, because it's hot in here. Uh, the third prescriptive thing is, if there was something you love doing, and you're feeling that itch again, just go ahead and try doing it, like the music for you. What about you? Is there something that you've done in the recent or distant past that you loved or at least were intrigued by, but didn't follow through on that you're now resuming? Yeah. In the early 90s, I wrote fiction every single day. I wrote 3,000 words a day for about four Holy years. Holy cow, that's a lot of words. Yeah, I wrote like four or five unpublished novels, 50 short stories, tons of things. I'm going to get back to writing fiction at some point or something related to fiction, something kind of that feels artistic that way. I will be among the first people to read them. I, I hope. hope so. I'm sending it to you. I'm going to get your endorsement on the back. You're going to write the forward, the preface, and the endorsement. <laughs> This was fun. We'll hear a clip from the next QOD right after this. In the new CNN original series, United Shades of America, black comedian W. Kamau Bell finds himself coming face-to-face with the KKK. And when a black man attends a cross-lighting, you can imagine things get more than a little awkward. So check out United Shades of America Sunday nights at 10 Eastern and Pacific on CNN because people are definitely going to be talking about this one. It's called Question of the Day because every day there's a new question. So what's the question the next day? What do you think is the most important key ingredient for health? If you have to name one, because I can think of two. I would say, but uh, if you have to think of I one, I mean, in the macro sense, I'd say you know genetic makeup by a long shot. I mean, yeah. If you if you don't have, let's just assume most people don't have. You mean the weird you mean mutations. the input? You mean a, an actual yeah. controllable input? Yeah. 